This is what Brooklyn sounds like. Emily Scott, and I am your host of Objection to the Rule for today, uh, specifically on Radio Free Brooklyn. I am currently alone in the studio for the first time ever. Uh, starting off, Jasmine will be joining me shortly, which I'm very excited about because I don't know how it's going to go, me reporting the news to people I can't see. But um, we have a great show for you. Uh, we're going to be talking about things like police accountability, uh, facial recognition software, and much more. Um, currently, a nice, crisp uh, November 17th uh, Sunday out there. Uh, I'm in the cozy studio, and uh, let's get started. All right. Uh, so I'm going to start off by presenting a local-ish news story um, that's straight out of my nightmares. Um, gives me all the heebie-jeebies, but it's an important story. So I forced myself to do the research on it. Um, so here we go. Uh, New York is the first state to reveal names of institutions that have battled Candida Auris. Uh, so New York State has revealed the names of hospitals and nursing homes that have treated people with the aforementioned Candida Auris. Um, which is the spooky, deadly, drug-resistant fungus that has been, as the New York Times puts it, spreading globally under a cloak of secrecy, (laughs) which is just so nefarious. Uh, I took that directly. Thank you, New York Times. Um, The state identified 103 nursing homes and 64 hospitals with the highest concentration of patients in Manhattan, Brooklyn, and Queens. Uh, New York is the first state to reveal... uh, the names of institutions fighting the nicknamed, it's nicknamed C, period, Oris, capital C, um, breaking with its previous policy to not disclose, disclose such information to the public. Health officials say that the policy change is an effort to, quote, provide transparency to consumers and encourage hospitals and nursing homes to help stop its spread from The New York Times. Um, and that's in light of how fast it's been spreading the last few years. Dr. Howard Zucker, the commissioner of the New York State Department of Health, noted that, quote, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. Uh, Yeah, which is hard to argue with. Um, So but why the secrecy in the first place? Uh, An earlier report from The New York Times says that officials from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have, uh, quote, said their approach to confidentiality is necessary to encourage the cooperation of hospitals and nursing homes which might otherwise seek to conceal infectious outbreaks. Uh, There's also a worry among healthcare providers that those in need of urgent medical care might misunderstand the information presented and avoid seeking help. But, quote, those pushing for increased transparency say they are up against powerful medical institutions eager to protect their reputations, as well as state health officials who also shield hospitals from public scrutiny. There's a lot to unpack in this story. Um, The New York Times also combined it with uh, a new report from the CDC about drug resistant uh, like diseases and funguses, which um, 
due to a lot of different factors, including uh, the uh, overuse of antibiotics, um, are kind of flourishing, which is horrifying (laughs) and triggers one of my big anxieties is diseases, um, as people close to me know. Um, And then there's also this uh, idea of institutions just hiding information from the public for whatever reason. Um, So a question (laughs) I wanted to ask myself and, you know, hopefully be able to provide was that, is there any good news to what seems to be a horrifying prospect? Um, And, you know, please let there be good news. And there is good news, some good news. First of all, if you're a healthy person going about your daily life, there is very little threat of becoming sick with candida auris. So don't start panicking like I did when I started researching this stuff. That moment when I feel like my blood pressure, like, you know, I was reading this one statistic that um, all the CDC or the UN estimates that more people are going to die from drug resistant diseases than cancer by the year 2050, which is multi, I think about 10 million or something. Um, Felt my blood pressure rise when I read that. Um, But for this one in particular, um, if you're a healthy person going about your life, don't let this (laughs) shade your day to day activities. Also, uh, another negative thing that I'm tying into the good news part, um, even though a new CDC report found that the number of people dying from drug-resistant infections in the U.S. is probably double what was previously estimated, sorry for that bad news, um, there has been a, quote, 30% decline in deaths among patients who acquired drug-resistant infections in hospital, a reduction it attributed to better hygiene among nurses and doctors. So that's the good news. you know, when we talk about diseases, I think one of the reasons I freak out is that it it feels like um, th- I, I have no control over the situation. I, I can't see a disease. I can't. I mean, I can, I can avoid, you know, I could good hygiene. There are things like that that do are, are things active steps I can take and the public can take. But it feels like this, you know, big, terrifying thing that I can't do much to avoid, but it is good to know that there are, you know, standard practices we can take this as a society to help, you know, help with these issues. Um, So at the end of the day, uh, the one of the questions I was asking myself when I was researching this is that, you know, which side of this issue in terms of, you know, team transparency about Candida Oris or team confidentiality? Um, and it's an interesting issue. I, in general, I'm just, I'm very anti-government institutions hiding information from the public, um, especially when it could have dire consequences for people's health. Um, I, you know, I also understand that there's a fear of spreading a panic that might be more dangerous than the thing itself in some situations. You know, if someone gets uh, another disease that's not a drug-resistant one, but you know, maybe can spread really easily, like I don't know, measles or I don't know. Um, something pretty bad and they don't go to the hospital because they're afraid of candida oris that they're maybe like not as at risk with, or, you know, I was reading that the hospital hospitals are used to dealing with superbugs. So if they know that this one unit had an exposure, they're going to do everything in their power to avoid the entire hospital getting exposed, things like that. Um, so there are risks of people, you know, causing a panic and maybe causing other issues outside like beyond this one. Um, but even considering that, I think the more information the public has, the better. 
if you are, you know, especially, you know, if you if you're putting looking at nursing homes to put your parent in and you know that they have very specific health issues, um, you you know, I think you have the right to make the decision not to put them somewhere that has a drug resistant fungus. Um, yeah, no, I think I think the revelation of this information is good. Um, all right. So that was my story on Candida Oris. I will pat on my back to getting through that without panicking. Um, so I think I'm going to do a little bit of an early music break. Um, and when we get back, hopefully Jasmine will be in the studio able to present a story she worked on. Um, or we'll jump ahead. We'll jump around. We're playing around today. Casual, loose Sunday. Uh, you've been listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. We'll be back shortly.
All right, we are back. I am Emily. I am today's host for Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn, your uh, weekly news hour. Uh, so I am currently doing the news on my own. Um, and I had a lot of help though from my uh, regular contributors and co-hosts uh, this week to help uh, research a bunch of stories. And we also have a regular contributor, Jasmine, who will be joining us uh, relatively soon. Um, but we're, we're playing around today. So, um, we're trying out new things. Uh, so we're going to jump around and I'm going to jump ahead to a national news story, uh, that regular contributor Matthew Schneeman put together. Thank you, Matt. Um, so this is a story about Walmart. Um, so the trade war is known for hurting American businesses. Tobacco farmers are left high and dry and don't qualify for any government help. Uh, soybean and corn farmers are hurt. Car manufacturers are treading water, uh, trying to plan for the future. But one company seems unaffected. Walmart. With the shares rising by 2.5%, how are they unaffected? Al Jazeera reports the retailer gets 56% of its revenue from food and grocery sales, which allows it to manage the pressure from tariffs better than many rivals. So how does food offset the trade war effects? Uh, presumably, those items are included in the list of items slapped with tariffs. Perhaps the way Walmart grows in austere times is because of their size. With over 11,000 stores worldwide and a recently increased e-commerce investment, Walmart has the ability to stave off a couple lean years as the rest of the market is called off. We're talking about a monopoly. The article I read, uh, not read, <laughs> didn't support his monopoly slash Leviathan doomsday prediction, but it doesn't seem very foreboding, but, uh, that one of, uh, it's, it seems a little foreboding that Walmart is one of the few companies to be unaffected by the trade wars. Instead of finding this halting, Trump thinks Walmart's ability to weather this story encouraging. Trump tweeted, Walmart announces great numbers. No impact from tariffs, which are contributing billions to our treasury, end quote. Uh, so who knew? Billions in our treasury. Wow. Um, what does the government do with the money U.S. imports uh, pay to buy foreign goods? Uh, NPR reports that, quote, there, these have been programs where farmers uh, receive big direct payments to make up for all their lost sales in China. And as it happens, those programs have been about $28 billion dollars. So you've gotten $27 billion in new tariff money, but you spent about $28 billion to help farmers out during this conflict. So we make people pay a tax, then give them aid to help them pay that tax. Consumers pay more, produ uh, producers lose money, but Walmart comes out okay. Interesting. Uh, thank you, Matt, for that reporting. Um, so... Once again, you're listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm Emily. Uh, if you're just tuning in, we have a special show where I'm starting off uh, doing it on my own, which is exciting and different. Um, I'm jumping around a little bit. Um, we have a regular contributor who will be joining us shortly. So I'm going to let her come in and do the stories that she helped research. So I'm jumping forward. I'm going to do a world story next um, by an, another contributing member who will not be joining us today. Um, so this is a story on uh, Turkey that uh, regular contributor Teresa uh, helped uh, put together. All right. So um, Turkey has been pushing to deport 
ISIS members back to their home countries. So Turkey has engaged in a new push to deport foreign ISIS members who are held in Turkish or Syrian prisons. Even though they have been stripped of their citizenship, this comes uh, even though they have been stripped of their citizenship. This comes after a long push that was implemented after its invasion of northeast Syria earlier this year in an effort to dispel Syrian Kurdish fighters considered to be terrorists from a border area. The latest deportee is 39-year-old Mohammed B Dar- Darwis oh, his name 39-year-old Mohammed Darwis B, uh, an American citizen of Jordanian background. He was initially sent to Greece on Monday, but was refused and left stranded for several days in a, quote, buffer zone between countries. According to an article from Time magazine, the U.S. agreed to take him in and will provide him with travel documents to ensure that repatriation was underway. In addition to Darwis, Turkey's interior ministry expelled seven German and one British um, and one British ISIS suspects to Berlin and London on Thursday. Uh and Ankara has repeatedly criticized European nations for refusing to take back their nationals. Turkish Interior Minister Suleyman Soylu is quoted for saying that Turkey was not a, quote, guest house or hotel for ISIS members to stay in indefinitely. Um, so, first of all, Jasmine. Hi, I'm here with my clown shoes on. I'm so sorry, Emily. It's okay. Uh, I think the <laughs> listeners will agree well, that I've just been in total control, completely handling the situation. Yes, I was trying to tell my Lyft driver, I was like, she's alone. I'm supposed to be there. But he was like, well. Listen, I feel like I've been preparing for this possibility for a long time that I might do this show on my own one day. Um, I'm very glad you're here, though. <laughs> so I, uh, we, we are currently in the middle of uh, Teresa's story. I've been jumping right. around. A little bit, having a little playing with it a little bit. I already played a song. It's been an it's been a fun morning. Um, yeah, I've been listening. I was supporting yeah. you from the car, like yes. Bless you, Jasmine. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's talk a little bit about Turkey, and then we can dive into one of the stories that you uh, did an amazing job researching. But um, all right, so Turkey is pushing out ISIS members back to home countries. Okay. So yes. Um, so Teresa here wrote a few questions for us. Um, so she write wrote that crimes against humanity include those crimes that systematically exterminate, enslave, torture, rape, and persecute victims based on political, gender, religious, ethnic, national, or cultural differences. Crimes of aggression uh, consistent of the use of armed force by a state against the territorial integrity, sovereignty, or political independence of another state or violations of the Charter of the United Nations. So, Jasmine, (laughs) putting you to work. All right. Do you believe that suspected ISIS militants should be able to be brought to justice by the International Criminal Court for Allegiance to the group? Yes, <laughs> I yeah. do. Like, uh, I think it's complicated. I think we had a show a few weeks ago or months ago talking about how there's some people that are caught up in um, the Islamic State that might mm-hmm. not be in it because they actually believe in those or they might. It's almost like you're uh, connected to someone who's in it. So um, that gets murky. But I do think, you know, if you've committed some type of heinous crime, yeah, wherever you're from or for whatever reason, like there ought to be yeah, some like process. I don't think that you should just be sort of uh, thrown in a detention forever. But mm-hmm. I do think that you should be like brought before some kind of a court. Due tribunal. Process. Yeah. yeah. And I think I mean, it's interesting because it's um, like we live in a in a current age where it's, you know, it's not like. Oh, we're, you know, 
punishing Germany because of the Nazis. It's like this is this this group that crosses all like national lines around the world. Like, you know, if we don't recognize their government, so they're just people. It's this it's complicated. But I, I agree that, you know, terror like you you can't. I think it gets more complicated when it comes down to people, whether if they've either committed the crime or versus those who support the people that committed the crime. Right. Yeah. If you if you're just a fan, you know, and pledged allegiance, but you didn't actively commit a crime or fund a crime. I think that's an interesting maybe more gray zone. I don't know if you agree. And I'm I'm sure there's people out there screaming at me that I'm wrong. I mean, um, well, we do have like we have um, people that are extremists here yeah. like that are, you know, they support indirectly like white nationalism or, yeah. you know, they might not be out here like in, or very directly, but they haven't committed like a crime. You right. Know? You know, so that it is it is difficult to say, like, where do you draw the line? Because right. you don't want to be. Like, oh, we think this person might do something in the future, but right. how far in the future is that right. and going that, to happen? Yeah, and then that that sort of effort to curb a crime by predicting a crime crosses into that really kind of scary, starts curbing civil rights in a lot of ways, right? That's yeah. like a lot of that, like the Patriot Act, that kind of we're all... What happened when we were really young. That's right. all that's all those... Oh, like, we're still young. Oh, we're spring chickens, <laughs> but yeah, fresh young thing. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. But um, but in that sense, that we uh, way too young to understand what was happening, and, right. and like you know why, like you know these phone taps and all these things were suddenly okay, but like historically would have never. I remember reading about. I mean, we're we're getting a little off topic. I'm gonna throw this out there because no, I think it's interesting. Right. We're freestyling Woo! today. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> um, but you know, the first time that um. Or I guess no, it might have been during nine eleven. There, so one of the the hijackers had a, a box knife on them, mm-hmm. which is how, or like a, a some sort of cutting instrument. And apparently, the debate in Congress as to whether it was a violation of your civil liberties to not no longer let you bring a knife onto a plane was like really intense, right? And right. these days, it's like throw them, and if you if you you know even per- accidentally leave one in your pocket going through security, you're gonna get like interrogated by TSA, right. which is like. I mean, I'm terrified. So, like, you know, yeah. it's it's me walking that line personally of, like, you know, no one bring any personal items on this plane. Like, I'm, you know, but it, I knowing that it's actually, you know, there are violations of your of your rights and to privacy um, involved in a lot of these things. But anyway, we're getting a little off. I'm getting off track specifically because I think all of this is related and, and really interesting. Um, and then, OK, one last question from Teresa and then Jasmine will jump into one of your stories. OK, cool. Um, so reflecting on the past treatment received from the U.S. Uh, of people assumed to be a threat to the, quote, establishment. <laughs> and then um, Teresa wrote Angela Davis in parentheses. What makes ISIS members any different from suspected communist or Black Panthers? Okay, well, <laughs> I, I have a strong feeling I, about that. <laughs> lay it, bring it out there. I, I just want to know, I did not write this question, but I think it's an interesting one from Teresa. Yeah, I mean, I think um, it kind of, I'm, I don't like Teresa's not here, like, and I'm not saying that this is what she was thinking, right, but it, you, it yeah. reminds me of people that are like, they'll try to say something like Black Lives Matter is the same right. as something mm-hmm. like, white lives matter or blue lives matter when they aren't Mm -hmm. um i do see that there is 
sometimes people conflate being critical of the U.S. government, not agreeing with imperialist policies, fighting against that with um, like people being evil, which I don't agree with. But mm-hmm. ISIS is the main victims of the Islamic State are Muslims around the world that mm-hmm. are, you know, being murdered like forced to like not live their lives like fully or the way that they would have been like we've seen what isis has done as far as like destroying mm-hmm. a lot of important cultural yeah um like parts of um i can't think of the one word but things like very ancient books or buildings or yeah, pieces of art like yeah. artifacts architecture yeah forever you know, like gone yeah the, the black panthers made sure that you know poor children had a meal every day like yeah. that's not really the same or like they were actively resisting against um oppression from like the police and things like that it, it was about empowering people mm-hmm. it wasn't about further stripping power away to yeah. bring about a new caliphate yeah and a lot of a lot of that view of the black panthers as like a, a, a you know quote-unquote scary like terrorist group was a lot of white powerful people that were threatened by you know um people of color kind of standing up against that and and having like you know a stance of power that was to right. repeat myself threatening you know to them right <laughs> the like establishment there, i read something recently about how um, there was so much propaganda back in the day like right. when the panthers were providing free meals to children in oakland and they started to expand that program around the country like there were um white people trying to tell their um like constituents like people that live in the community that they were poisoning kids oh that they God. were putting stuff in the food that they're like <sighs> Yeah. You know, just just ridiculous yeah. stuff. And they they've also been um have you heard of that book, Don't uh Say Say Nothing? It's a bestseller. I don't think so. It's very good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not done with it, but it's about um these people who were disappeared during the troubles, like when mm-hmm. Northern Ireland mm-hmm. was fighting, um when, you know, people that wanted Northern Ireland to be an independent country were fighting against the British and they actually modeled some of their tactics after the Black Panthers, you know, so and like even from like some of the ways that they dressed or like the way that they would organize. So it was about, you know, it's not like we're trying to kill our own people, right. you know, so that to me is very different from like communists that are like, we need like, this is an exploitative system. We need right. something that's good for ISIS everyone. Versus those groups. I think, yeah. And I think, I think that, you know, these are very hot topic, hot button issues for a lot of people. I think it, it, I think violence and crimes and, um, should be, are, are, I think are, should be looked at across the board equally, right? Like Mm -hmm. if you commit a crime that's violent for whatever, for whatever reason, that's the issue. And it's, you know, the issue with ISIS is the violence and the terrorist acts. It's not necessarily their, their beliefs outside of those things, even though that seems to be a core tenet of that issue. And that for me, I think, you know, yeah, is the, is like, you know, how, if you have trouble separating out these things from those things, you know, like a terrorist group that, that bombs and kills and maims is, it doesn't really matter what their perspective is, but groups that, you know, don't necessarily see the world that you do, but don't commit, you know, but aren't committing crimes like that. I think, is you can you can separate those out is how i look at it yeah i mean and it's also 
a big difference between like defending mm-hmm. oneself, which mm-hmm. is part of what goes into analyzing yeah. what's going on, you know, right. like the power or like violence that you commit because you're being attacked is not the same as like preemptively going mm-hmm. in and destroying and laying yeah. waste to places. So yeah. yeah, like those things need to be considered too. So yeah. So yay, yay <laughs> communists, yay black Panthers, <laughs> Islamic state, not boo, so much. Boo. Like they're hurting a lot of people. Um, you know a lot of innocent folks that are already struggling and then they have like this happening at the same time yeah yeah um well thank you for your perspective on that really intense issue i would have had a lot of trouble i think parsing that out i'm sure you would you would have been great (laughs) Um, so let's jasmine let's do uh one of the stories you researched and then we'll take a break i think okay so you get to pick what would you like to talk about next I'm going to talk about police accountability and the Civilian Complaint Review Board. Nice. So a few weeks ago, we had Election Day on November 5th. And um, I'm someone that only I'm 30 now, but I've only been like a regular voter for the past like few years. Um, But one of the things that I really like is when there's ballot initiatives, because it's very clear Like even if you're someone who maybe isn't up on all of your local representatives, like at every single level where you know what their history is, like you can look at the issues that are directly on the ballot and vote yes or no on very simple things that affects our quality of life here. Mm -hmm. So one of them that passed and that I voted for was increased um, police accountability through the Civilian Complaint Review Board. Um, And this is an article from the Gothamist. Um, It passed and the goal of that initiative was to increase the effectiveness of the agency that investigates the public's complaints against New York Police Department officers. It increases the size of the um, Civilian Complaint Review Board from 13 members to 15 members. So not that many more people, but a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, It gives the city council and public advocate more say in the appointments, like who's appointed to the board, because right now they're appointed by the mayor, like they're controlled by the mayor. Um, It sets a minimum budget for the board's headcount equal to 0.6 percent. And that's pegged to the NYPD's budget for the police officer headcount. So, for example, in the fiscal year 2020, the headcount is supposed to be 36,113 uniformed officers. And this uh, civilian complaint review board has a total of 212 employees. So that's 0.6% of the population of cops. Um, It requires more transparency from the police commissioner when it comes to police discipline. So the civilian um, complaint review board is, an organization where just regular citizens are able to complain and say, hey, like I had this interaction with a police officer. I was unsafe or like they manhandled me. They called me a name. They called me a slur. And the people that are on the board are they're just regular civilians, like as it says in the name. Mm-hmm. But the police commissioner is the only one that is able to make a final decision on whether to terminate someone mm-hmm. or suspend them without paying things like that. So this um this what should we call it? Who's a what's it? This <laughs> initiative 
the purpose, one of the goals was to make the police commissioner be more transparent about like, why did you discipline this person? How did you discipline them? Um, it gives more power to the executive director of the board to issue subpoenas and seek witness testimony. And it also allows them to investigate false statements made by cops during an existing uh, civilian review board investigation. So before this passed, if they discovered that an officer had lied in their testimony, the agency could just turn just say like, oh, they lied. And then you turn it over to internal review. But then from there, like, who knows what happens? Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, I think more people should be aware of what the um, Civilian Complaint Review Board does, that it exists. You can call 311. You can file a complaint online. Um, It's certainly not a perfect system. Like, we do see what goes on like every day, like there's always some new clip of someone being harassed or abused and then things that where there isn't any clip. But um, I think it's encouraging that this was on the ballot. I think it's encouraging that it passed. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully more people take advantage of that resource and use it. Um, So yeah, we'll see what it brings. Hopefully something positive. Jasmine, that's awesome. Um, I actually, I was lucky enough to find out that a friend of mine, a friend of a friend was on the board, at least for a little bit or something. And it was really interesting. It, I had actually never heard of it before. I, mm-hmm. I, I think I met him a year and a half ago. And um, we talked a little bit about it. I didn't want to pry too much, but, you know, it's an important power check, I think, that um, isn't built into the system in a way that most, most of us are used to seeing. You know, the idea, you know, I think we're used to having like, you know, the internal review department, which is like um, our internal affairs department, which is like HR for the police right, department. Right. But it's like, can you really trust a, a group that's or it's in the system to investigate itself? Right. No, <laughs> the answer is no. Right. And I think like, I think, yeah, it's, this is a really important check on power. And um, yeah. And I, I was reading about how when this was, you know, this this um all the the things I was seeing about make sure you vote yes on this issue or whatever mm-hmm. um, pointed out that the reason that the officer who did the fatal chokehold on Eric Garner finally yeah, got Tantaleo. yeah finally got fired was a lot of the pressure from this board um, on the police commissioner who you accurately said is the only one who actually does have the power right right but he also just stepped down um, mm. which has a lot you know I was Bill Bratton stepped down um no not Bill Bratton or no. Someone, someone just stepped down or retired okay. or something. And I apologize for not having all the facts. No, no problem. No. Yeah. But it was something it was like probably a combination of actually going through with firing him and a lot of pressure from officers. And um, this is also me speculating. So apologies yeah, yeah, yeah. for anybody who hates speculation. And then also um, also a lot of the police suicides this year, though. And that's a big issue that the police department's dealing with as well. But um, but thank you so much yeah. for that really important story. Um. Thanks for holding it together. Oh. I for real forgot that it was just me and you today. It was like, oh, it's a room full of people. It's like, oh fine. I've been mentally preparing for this possibility. I knew you were coming. Just had to, you know, make it magic yeah. happen on my own in the meantime. Well, you got to face your fear and you faced your fear. Face my fear of Candida Oris and you yeah, know, presenting the news on my own. That sounded horrible. I literally was like, I was panicking. I was like, do I have to do this one? And I was like, I think this is an the important people story. people need to know. The people need to know. You um, know, there's the plague is coming back. <laughs> like that's happened. It, I was thinking about that when you were reading the story. Like, yeah. 
Did you read that somewhere? Oh, yeah, yeah. In, yeah. in China, there's yeah. been a couple more cases and they were talking about the, the NPR article had the same question, like, how much has the government been hiding yeah. from people? So I, I actually, I, I, this have I, I'll panic about this stuff every once in a while, but, um, they, I was, the, the plague, there have been cases on and off for right. like kind of, kind of, it never really stopped just mm-hmm. the, um, that specific bubonic strain or whatever you're talking yeah. about. But it's, um, a lot of, it's, it's never like kind of been out of control in terms of like an actual, like lowercase P plague. Right. Um, which, you know, you just gotta sometimes not panic, even though, I'm halfway through an espresso right now and I'm panicking a lot. Yeah, yeah. Like it's um so let's not talk about it. Okay, that. thank you. <laughs> um but we're gonna take a break with a real a real sweet sounding song that'll maybe calm everybody's anxiety. Uh we'll be back soon. This is Objections to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. are back um that was yaya um which is a a song from apparently the movie lolita by stanley kubrick performed by the london music works i found it it was um on the soundtrack for um the second season of my favorite show end of the fucking world on netflix oh that sounds like a very uh uplifting yeah yeah yeah. Program. it's real funny it's dark funny um scary i love it um i think i also forgot to mention that the first song i played was wasted youth by jenny lewis um Je- the Jenny Lewis, that Jenny Lewis, the Jenny Lewis. Oh, okay. yeah, the one, the singer who used to be an actress in the eighties, a child actress. 
Right. She was in Cape Fear. Uh, the new, the one with Robert De Niro. Was she, she was the young girl. No, no, no. That's Juliette Lewis. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, actually, that's funny. Jenny Lewis um, was a B actress, like a small time actress. She was in like oh. um, True Beverly Hills. Oh, okay. <laughs> like she, okay. but she's more. She's mostly. She's better known as a musician these days. Okay. Yeah. So they both have a. Yeah. I, I bet that happens all the time. Yep. I'm, I'm so sorry to both of those women if you're <laughs> listening. That's actually really funny. Um. Yeah. So uh, during the music break, Jasmine and I uh, were discussing. The plague. The plague and eating marmots, which is illegal. Don't do it. And as long as we're washing our hands, we're ahead of the game. So just keep washing your hands, everybody. Yeah, I mean, it's the best way to prevent the spread of disease. <laughs> We've known this for some time. For so, so long. please, please wash your hands. And get your hands. flu shot. Get your vaccines. Yeah. Yes. Uh, all right. Next story, Jasmine. Go. All right. So this one is another one. Uh, this is more in my like house of horrors for stuff that i hate (laughs) yeah i don't worry about disease too much but this like minority report there's a lot to worry about and stuff is (laughs) driving me up Uh, a wall so i don't know well i know if my father's listening i know he's seen minority report i've also seen blade runner a million times (laughs) they're both based off of philip k dick books yeah and it's uh I would say it's funny if it weren't so creepy, like how much of that stuff has been predictive mm-hmm. of the technology that we'll have now. Yeah. So according to Vox News this past Thursday. in That's the Vox with a V, not Fox with an F. Yes, right. Vox, 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 <laughs> as in voice, like the popular voice. Perfect. So in Capitol Hill, in the Capitol Hill neighborhood of Washington, D.C. and on K Street, um, a group of activists that go by Fight for the Future using recognition it's then that's recognition with a k i don't know why they <laughs> i guess that's supposed to make the surveillance cool they can trademark yeah they can trademark that word yeah okay so that's amazon's commercially available facial recognition software the activist group scanned nearly fourteen thousand people's faces and they cross-checked those um images with a database that enables those people to be identified and they live stream the whole thing. So you can't, you know, see it clearly because we're on the radio. But if you were to Google um, this group, they had on these weird looking like jumpsuit things with a with like a helmet on, like hazmat looking huh. stuff. And they just stood there and scanned everyone like they had some the software downloaded on their smartphones and it just scanned people indiscriminately as they walk by as part of the protest as part of the protest yeah so over the past few years this technology has been used in law enforcement and immigration so including you know by the fbi and ice um the deputy director of the activist group fight for the future evan greer said that it's terrifyingly easy for anyone, a government agent, a corporation, or just a stalker, Mm. to conduct biometric monitoring and violate basic rights at a massive scale. So the recognition software correctly identified one lawmaker, but it also incorrectly indicated that it identified several journalists, lobbyists, and even the singer Roy Orbison, (laughs) who has been dead since before I was born. (laughs) So that highlights one of the big issues with this software is it's it's imperfect. Like we were talking about last week with Mm -hmm. the drunk driving Mm -hmm. thing. Breathalyzers. The breathalyzer. Intoxilizer 8000. (laughs) Yeah. It's like people put so much faith sometimes in technology and they think it's infallible when it's not. Wow. And it can just sort of further um, 
anchor a belief that like well yeah it has to be right because the machine says it's right it's like well how do you know the machine is right Right. because the machine said it was right and that's not you know that's not a great way Mm -hmm. to go um they did not ask the people around them if they consented to be scanned because that's the whole point it's that no one's being asked for their consent and they were trying to get congress to ban it Wow. Um, currently, there's no law that prevents people from scanning your face without your consent at any time. Uh, the group promised that after two weeks, all the data they collected would be deleted. But there's no law about that. So anything wow. that's collected on these things that anyone can buy, like if you have the money, that could potentially be stored forever. Wow. Um, people that are proponents of this technology say that it can be used to find missing children elderly adults or catching criminals and terrorists but um, regulating it would prove difficult because technology and ai in particular develops so fast Mm -hmm. that it's hard to it takes so long to make a new law it's hard to keep track of it's hard to predict what types of regulations you're going to need for something that doesn't exist yet Mm -hmm. Um, and another issue with this technology that stood out to me is AI, it's artificial intelligence, but it's programmed by people like those algorithms or whatever. Like there's human beings with their own biases and prejudices that make that technology. So it's going to be embedded into it. Um, Back in 2015, Google's image recognition system was labeling uh, black people as gorillas. And in 2018, three years later, the recognition software wrongly matched 28 members of Congress to criminal mugshots. That's a lot of people. 28. 28 people. Wow. Um, So, yeah, like that's another thing. It's like if you have people that are working in a very homogenous environment where like they're testing a lot of things on white men. Well, shit, even with white men, Mm because it's a lot of white men in Congress and it's not (laughs) even correct for them. Yeah. It's even worse. Like if they're not, there's not enough of a sample of people of different races, mm-hmm. people of different genders. Um, so that's bad, but it's also like, it's shitty that it's not accurate if you're a person of color, but it's probably even worse if it is accurate because you're already disproportionately targeted. And then yeah. having, um, I didn't write the man's name down, but in this article, like we'll put a link to it on our social media feed. They mention that it's a short leap from having the that capability to finding numerical reasons for construing some groups as subordinate and then reifying that subordination by wielding the charisma of numbers to claim subordination is a natural fact. So just like, you know, back in the day with phrenology and like mm-hmm. a lot of different types of race um, science, eugenics, eugenics, it, like yeah. there's a lot of... um social darwinism it's like a long history of that stuff like make trying to you know put numbers and things and split people into categories based on some like fixed yeah numerical value and that's essentially what this would be doing so wow it's some scary shit i hope they stop um there's that scene in that movie i mentioned earlier where tom cruise is trying to move through a crowd and it looks janky now, but mm-hmm. it's accurate where like he's trying to hide his face because they're scanning everyone and it didn't seem like it would happen. But Mm-mm. here we are. So um, this so but a little bit before you have joined the show, we actually did a story about a um, 
I think it is low income housing or some sort of subsidized housing uh, deeper in Brooklyn. They want to scan people's yep. face, right? Yep. As part of the yeah, security yeah, system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you, it's not, yeah, you heard of it. Um, and the landlords that were, you know, trying to implement this, like they were claiming there's, you know, there's, um, there's safety issues. So we want to scan your face as part of your entry. And every, all the tenants were like, well, there, we were, we don't need additional safety yeah. things on top of the fact that the technology they were trying to implement. I'm, I'm trying to remember the exact percentage numbers, but apparently was like incorrectly was incorrect for african-american faces like 90 percent of the time incorrect for female faces like 80 something percent of the time and then the vast majority of the people living there were black women and it it was just like who like whose safety are you trying to protect yeah so this stuff yeah and so they they filed a motion to prevent the implementation of that i actually should do some follow-up and figure out what happened with that but um it, it was gaining the news gained some traction as we heard of it so yeah yeah, I don't like it. I mean, I think no. that this protest was a good idea because you're confronting the people that have the power to make a difference. Right. Um, like it's yeah. very pointed, you know, so if they are no, if they see for themselves like how this is going to affect them. Yeah. Maybe it will help push the needle in the direction like, hey, you know, you want anybody to be able to see you leaving your mistress's home or mm-hmm. whatever and report back. Mm-hmm. No, then let's ban this. Yep. Um, um, you want to something even scarier, Jasmine? Do I? I don't, I don't know. know. It's the scary day. Halloween <laughs> is over. <laughs> um, have you ever heard of a deep fake? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's so, very. Uh... It's very scary. So for anyone who doesn't know, it's there's technology out there that allows you to very realistically plant um, someone else's face on another on a, a video of someone else doing something completely different. Um I saw this crazy one that put Jim Carrey's face on Jack Nicholson's in The Shining, mm-hmm. and it looks like Jim Carrey was in the movie, and yeah. like legit. And I've seen that movie a lot. Okay, and that's horrifying. It's very scary. And Sam B did a story on it about the terrifying implications of like if you, you know, we live in a world where people don't trust the news they're hearing a lot of the time. It's like you can't sometimes maybe you you can't always trust the videos you're watching, and this you know it all. Oh, so scary. It is. And I mean, you know, we have seen it doesn't take much to fool a lot of people. I mean, I'm not on Facebook that often, but it's very easy for people to get taken in by things that, you know, for some people are very obviously fake, but there's still tons of people that take it hook, line and sinker. So as these things get more and more sophisticated, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, I don't see anything positive coming from it. But you can trust us. Oh, yeah. You can listen to podcasts, listen to the radio. <laughs> yeah. We're your friends. We're your friends. Um, no, <laughs> we, yeah, we're doing the best we can, yeah. just like everyone else is, presenting the news and telling you the sources we get it from. So Yeah, you can yeah. trust these voices. Why not? <laughs> yeah. We're not Why not? Um, so, Jasmine, we have a, a follow-up on your story. Uh, Matt did some research on the uh, Chilean story. Some follow up on that. Oh, did he know? Yes, he did. Do you okay. want to you want to run through that real fast as we sure close in on the end of the show for today? OK, so thanks, Matt. And this is from The New York Times. At the end of October, our objection to the rule co-host Jasmine Smith, which is me, myself, <laughs> did a piece on the Chilean protest. She I started my piece off like this. A few weeks ago, we talked about some of our own transportation issues in New York. Fares going up, increased police presence. 
activists encouraging writers to swipe others in and hold doors. So in clips of Chilean students taking over metro stations in Santiago and letting everyone they could get into the system for free, it hit a nerve. So according to Matt, everything is connected, especially in protests. So in Iran, Bolivia, Chile, Hong Kong, the list goes on. Chile's protests like us Americans to the past. Wait, what? I think Everything he's is to connected yes. to the past. Yes, okay, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, got it, good. <laughs> in the early 1970s, the U.S. supported a military coup in Chile. Chile had recently elected a socialist government, but the U.S. was against all things socialist or communist. The military coup put Augusto Pinochet in charge. Pinochet supported, quote-unquote, free market government into the 80s. His government, filled with many American-trained economists, rewrote the Constitution to enable free market ideas in regards to pensions and privatization. Yikes. Mm -hmm. At first, these neoliberal ideas seemed to work. Chile became rich and the capitalist success story for Latin America. However, wealth inequality grew, and now in 2019, waves of retirees are exiting the workforce with substandard pension plans. The constitution that was rewritten under Pinochet's rule has become the target of the protesters, initially protesting an increase in public transit price. It may be working, Reuters wrote. Lawmakers in Chile agreed on Friday to hold a referendum next April my birthday, on replacing the country's dictatorship-era constitution, bowing to demands of protesters who want the country's social and economic model overhauled. Okay, so I hope that they're able to um, do this sooner, because April's a little bit, it's kind of far away. Yeah. Like You work your whole life, you get to retirement, and you are, like, surprised with not having enough to live off of. Like, that's an yeah. urgent situation and you know bring it back to the story we just did government moves really slowly yeah and it's it's sometimes really disheartening because the world is moving so fast these days exactly you know like you don't know i know in chile in particular there's people that aren't able to afford like medicine that they yeah. need you know so you don't have months sometimes that's a matter of days or weeks for yep. you to be able to make it to the next yeah. day so um, yeah, thank you, Jasmine. And thank you, Matt. Um, yeah. He noted that a lot of that research was taken in part from uh, an episode of The Daily, the New York Times podcast. Um, it was a really good episode, too. Um, I suggest you give it a listen. Um, and OK, we're closing in on the end, but we have some good news that is actually very specifically appropriate. There was something on our brainwaves with Teresa because she did this research. Um so the good news for the day, uh, for the week, is that the world has finally uh, finally has its first ever approved Ebola vaccine. Okay, <laughs> Diseases. It's on. Um, high five, Teresa. So um, the World Health Alliance, or WHO, uh, verified that the treatment um, also reached its health and safety standards for global use, making it the first vaccine with clinical efficacy to protect individuals 18 years of age or older at risk of infection with the Ebola virus. The, quote, Gavi Vaccine Alliance, a Geneva-based health organization funding vaccine distribution uh, in low-income countries, uh, announced in 2015 that they would only purchase an Ebola vaccine for distribution if it was approved by a major health group. At its next meeting in December 2019, the Gavi board is set to make a decision on a long-term Gavi Ebola vaccine program that would include the creation of a global Ebola vaccine stockpile. 
this stockpile contingent on the availability of who's pre-qualified vaccine vaccines and sage recommendations for their use. Um, S-A-G-E is capitalized, and I'm not sure what it stands for, but I'm guessing it's an organization um, uh, that will enable um, countries to access and rapidly deploy Ebola vaccines in response to outbreaks. Uh, This is a vaccine with huge potential, said Dr. Seth Berkeley, CEO of Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance. Uh, It has already been used to protect more than 250,000 people in the Democratic Republic of the Congo and could well make major Ebola outbreaks a thing of the past. Yeah, that's Yay. amazing. It's amazing. It's also important to credit the unprecedented global effort from African countries uh, that helped generate the evidence, as well as Merck, who donor governments, partners, and regulatory agencies in making this authorization happen. Um, thank God. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's always so encouraging and gives me some hope, like when you see how if there's the will behind mm-hmm. it and people are willing to put the work in, like we can get rid of so many things and so much like needless suffering. Right. I mean, it feels like this feels in line with um, the polio vaccine. I don't know. This is a really serious disease. A few years ago, there was an <laughs> outbreak in, um, I forgot what it's, was it Western Africa, Central Africa that killed hundreds of thousands of people. It was like the worst deadliest outbreak I think in recorded history. Um, and then there was a doctor who came back and had it in oh, yeah, the on Ebola, the L yeah. train. And one of my aunts who is a nurse, like she was in Bellevue and there was someone there who had it. But I don't she wasn't working right. that day. And like, the doctor but, the doctor who had it here was was cured by the like he right. got the help he needed and the, the you know, the attention. Um but yeah, so uh thank you, Teresa, for that uplifting story. You know, maybe I'll sleep okay tonight. Um I guess in summary of today's show Pro hand washing, anti violence. Um, any last thoughts, Jasmine? Whew. Oof. Do I have any last thoughts? I'm glad that I made it, but you yeah. did a great job without Aww, me. You're too kind. I really, days. I really did. I did the bare minimum. Um, <laughs> all right. So you've been listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, I'm Emily here in the studio with. Jasmine Smith. All right. Um, You can listen to our older episodes on our website, um, on the Radio Free Brooklyn page for Objection to the Rule. And we also have an iTunes podcast page for our older episodes. Oh, we do? Yeah. And it gets updated simultaneously with the website. Um, We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye. Have a good one.